that was uh, my first time seeing some of this um, and hearing some of the testimonies about the school. You know, I go to the school and I teach for, for two weeks and we're so busy. A lot of times I don't, I don't really get to talk about to the guys about the impact of, of, of what we're doing and what's happening. So it's good to hear that and uh, good to be encouraged by that. It's good to have Van and John here and, and to hear their perspective on things and, and uh, to see that. Um, you know, I was listening to, to, um, to John talk about, I don't remember your exact words, but um, um, I'm nothing special. I don't remember what you said. Something like that. He's a special guy. He's special. <laughs> no, but you know, um, he's right in this, in this sense that, you know, we're, we're all, we're all, there, we're, we're, um, we're, none of us are perfected. None of us are, um, are, I'm losing the words. We just, we just don't, uh, we don't really, Mike has reminded me so many times, you know, when I, I, I say things like, uh, and I think she said this to you one time, Van, um, like, uh, I just don't feel adequate. And Micah, my, my daughter, Michael, just remind me, you, you know, you're not. You, you know, you don't, we're not. We just don't have what it takes. And, um, and, and this is, and this idea of missions, um, you know, we're, we're, we're speaking on behalf of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're speaking yeah. on behalf of the only one who's worthy, the only one who's adequate, the only one who has it all together. And the rest of us are just a work in progress, are we not? Uh, I think about our missionaries. Uh, you know, you got to hear from Anthony... And you got to, you've heard from Laverne, and uh, hopefully next week we'll have a little video. I was supposed to have that this morning from Peter McMillan uh, in Spain, um, Robin Brown in South Africa, our uh, David uh, was Grafino. Is that did I say David? Is that correct? John. John. I always say David for some reason. John Grafino in in Italy, and uh, I don't know some of these as well as I know others, but they're, they're, there's nothing really special about these people. Nothing extraordinary about these people. But they serve an extraordinary God. And they just simply made themselves available. I'm sharing that with you because, because this is you. This is who you are. You, 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 whether if you're a believer, you, you are on mission for God. Whether it's here in Randolph County or somewhere halfway around the world, you, you are on mission for God. Um, and there is nothing special about us in, in the sense, in the sense that we're not like God, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not the Savior. We don't have any special uh, uh, miraculous abilities. We can't save the lost, but we're just instruments in the hands of an extraordinary God, an extraordinary Savior, Jesus Christ. And isn't it wonderful? <laughs> isn't it wonderful to be used by Him in a, yes. in a mighty and powerful way? Us with, with all of our hiccups and all of our baggage and, and, and this remnant sin that still remains in us. Isn't it amazing that God uses it all? And what a privilege it is for us to be a part of His, His global mission of gathering a people from every tribe and tongue and nation to, to, to gather them that, that, they, that they might be a representative, if you will, for the glory of God all the way around the world to just worship Him and adore Him and make His name known in this fallen place. I'm so excited about one day when He's going to create it all brand new and this people that He's gathered, these people that He saved, these, these people that weren't so extraordinary will finally and fully be glorified. Give God His proper praise and His proper worship. I'm excited about that. Well, that's not my message. <laughs> um, open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 5. We've read it. 
So I won't read the full section there, but I want to I want to uh, speak on this topic. Jesus, the sovereign King of world missions. Jesus, the sovereign King of world missions. Now we've been talking about missions, and we've highlighted this idea of the glory of God, that the mission, the mission of the church is the glory of God, for God to be made known, right? For God to be adored and worshipped all throughout the world. And we talked about this idea of the authority of Jesus, that is the basis for our going. Remember what Jesus said? He said, all authority has been given me, where? In heaven and earth. Go what? Therefore... Remember we've said that, wherever you see a therefore, you need to be look wherefore. Why are we going? Therefore, because Jesus said, I have all authority. All authority has been given to me. Go therefore. And what? And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all the things that I've taught you. And remember, he says at the end of that, remember what? I'm with you. I'm with you. The authority of Christ, the authoritative Christ is, is, is with us in this process of worldwide discipleship, of worldwide evangelism. Now, this is the basis, or this is the foundation that we began with. And so I want to kind of build on that today. If we can, that idea of the authority of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, and this idea of, of the mission being the glory of God, right? So let me just get kind of give you one overarching truth. So if you miss everything else I've said, if maybe one of the kids gets up and walks out and you get distracted or whatever, don't miss this one thing. This one thing. Here it is. The belief in the absolute sovereignty of Jesus Christ leads us to do whatever it takes to make disciples of all nations. Let me say it again. The belief in the absolute sovereign authority of Jesus Christ leads us to do whatever it takes to make disciples of all nations. Now what I mean by that, if we believe that Jesus is sovereign, meaning that He rules, He rules what? Life and He rules death. That he, he has our life and He has our deaths in His hands. Then that is going to lead us to whatever it takes to make disciples of all nations. This is the idea here. Churches that believe Jesus Christ reigns over all things, that is including life and death, even our life and death, will even die for the sake of gathering a people for God from every tribe and tongue and nation. Now you might be saying, whoa, hold on just a second. I didn't realize this was going to involve dying. Of course it involves dying. I mean, this is the way we come to Christ, isn't it? Jesus said, if any man come to me, what, let him deny himself, what, take up a cross, the instrument of torture and death, and then come and follow me. If you're going to follow Jesus, that's what it involves. If, if, if not in a literal sense, it certainly means that in a figurative sense. We die to ourselves and our selfishness and we forsake our sin and all those kinds of things, right? So that's what it means. So if we believe in the sovereignty of Christ, that is, He's sovereign over life and over death, we're willing even to die for the sake of gathering a people for God from every tribe and tongue and nation. So let me kind of settle your minds a little bit, and let me kind of give you some preliminary thoughts for clarity and to deal with a few of your objections. Number one, number one, missions in North America and North Carolina and Asheboro is absolutely necessary. Right? It's absolutely necessary. Do you understand? Right? 
I'm getting dead stares. <laughs> it is absolutely necessary. I'm not saying today that we should forget missions right here in the local church or the local community. Why, this is our Jerusalem, right? This is our, this is our Judea. This is our Samaria and the surrounding areas, right? This is where we start with the mission. Second thought, second preliminary thought, as a whole, worldwide missions is terribly neglected. As a whole, worldwide missions is terribly neglected. I mean, I've heard people say a whole host of things, but let me just kind of mention a few things. Why go to the Muslim world that hates us? Why go to places that have their own religion or communist countries that aren't like us? I remember some years ago um, going and spending uh, some time, in fact, we went a few times to, uh, to, to Cuba. Uh, doing uh, mission work there, and uh, I, I took Micah. I don't. I don't know if Jonah went, but we, I took Micah. I think Tanya. Tanya, uh, you you went uh, as well, didn't you? Didn't you go twice? Yeah, she went twice. And and uh, some of the things that we heard was, you know, why? Why do you go there? They don't. They don't want you there. Uh, yeah, they they hate us there. In fact, they had a billboard. I was walking by, uh, uh, walking by this one place, and there was a billboard there. It said uh, um, uh, in Spanish. So Marla may have to help me. Uh, uh, you, you've uh, you've seen some of these signs probably. Uh, uh, Death to capitalists in Spanish. I can't remember what it was. It was in Spanish, and I asked my translator, "So what does that say?" And he said, "Death to uh, death to capitalists." And he looked at me and he said, "That's you." <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, why go to places like that that, that hate you? Well, listen, let me just kind of ease your mind a little bit. You, are, are you ready for this? If you're a Christian, the world is going to hate you right here where you are. Yes. I mean, this, Christ told us that. Yes. Know that if it hated me, or if it hates you, know that it hated me first, yes. He said. Yeah, the world is going to hate you right where you are, no matter where you are. And why, why do we go? We, we, we go because the Lord has commanded us to go. Amen. We go because it's a part of His plan. We, become, we go because He deserves worship in every place in this, this earth that He's created. In every place. Over, over 1.8 billion people. Think about that. Over, I think, six times the size of the U.S. I may be wrong. Someone can correct my math later. 23% of the world today are classified as unreached. Now, that doesn't mean unsaved. That means they have absolutely no access to the gospel. That's unreached. Think about it. Hmm. I mean, even in places where we have personally touched, there remains large sections of unreached people. There in Zimbabwe alone, there are hundreds of thousands of people who have little or no gospel witness. And I'll say it this way, little or no access to the gospel at all. Some places that are so remote that the gospel has not come to those places. Someone said uh, there are 6,000 uh, 6, people groups in the world that still are unreached with the gospel. Hmm. I'll tell you a third kind of overarching kind of uh, preliminary statement here. We as your leaders, we as your pastors have the duty to lead the way into some of these places. We have the duty. We have the privilege to lead you into some of these places. To lead you to give all and to forsake all for the glory of God, for His worship in all places among all, place, among all peoples. Over 6,000 people groups. Think about that. 1.8 billion people in them not reached with the gospel. I mean, this is a problem. And let me say this to you very, very plainly. This is not a problem for mission agencies. 
Do you understand? This is not a problem for parachurch organizations. This is the mission that Christ Himself gave to you, the church. Gave to us, pastors and leaders. Gave to us. We are the ones, the local church. Every pastor in every local church needs to think about that. And I think we ought to strategize in that way. The Great Commission was given to the church. Church, listen, we love people right here. We love people right here in Ashburn, North Carolina. We love people right here in Randolph, Randolph County. We, we, we love our, our local communities. In that one day all peoples of the world receive the gospel of Christ and worship Him as He is God. Hmm. And, all this, and, every, and, and what ought to drive all of this in, in, in the heart, of, I think, of every true church is the immovable certainty in the absolute sovereign rule of Jesus Christ. I want to pray, and then I want us to look at, uh, just look at a few verses there in, in Revelation chapter 5. Uh, I, 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 I promise you I'm not going to break down all the symbolism and all the stuff that's there so, uh, so you won't. Uh, get all of your um, little uh, itchy spots uh, uh, scratched here with uh, with this text, but let me kind of look at it from a big picture and this idea of the sovereign Christ the, being the sovereign or the ruler of missions. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for um, we're thankful that you, in your good sovereignty, Lord, decided to save us. That You, Lord, have set us free from the bondage and slavery of sin. And Lord, we were just a small part of Your bigger plan to gather a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Lord, that, that we, these representatives like, might give You proper praise and proper adoration and proper worship. God, You are to be adored among all people, among all nations. And God, You've, you've, you've decided somehow, God, in your, your own wisdom that's secret to us and hidden from us, to use these, these creatures down here, us, as Your instruments of grace to take this Gospel and to go and make disciples of all nations. And so, Father, I pray that, that we, Lord God, might, might get on board with Your plan with Your purposes, that we would remember, God, that You indeed are sovereign over all things, and that You are working. You have redeemed a particular people from all these tribes and all these places around the world. God, we have this now this, this real honor, this real privilege, Father, to be a part of this work. So I pray, God, that You'd help Your church to understand this. You'd help us, Lord, to, do, to be obedient. That those, Lord, that you're already working in in some way, and you have been working in for, for some months or maybe years, God, that you would stir in their hearts, God, this greater desire and a boldness, Lord, to go. I pray, God, that those who remain, those who sin, those who stay and labor in this place, God, would have a, a greater zeal and a greater passion for your glory here in Randolph County and in Ashborough and wherever it is, Lord, that you have them here in, in this uh, this state of ours. Thank you for your goodness to us. I pray now you would open our eyes and reveal great truths from your law that we'd all be changed as a result of it. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Then I saw in the, in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. <laughs> Amen. Weep no more. Behold, there He is. Look at him, he's saying. 
gaze at him. Open your eyes. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, <laughs> saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you, listen to this, you You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And we'll pause there. Father, again, we thank you. God, give us insight into your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I, I want to give you uh, today some stuff hopefully you can hold on to and, and some, some, some theological kind of um, um, stuff. Stuff, that's a good theological word, and theological stuff. Uh, some, some unalterable truths, let me say it that way, some unalterable realities uh, that we can hold on to. And then I want to give you some practical applications as a result of these truths. Four unalterable realities in this text. Number one, our sovereign God holds the destiny of everything and every person in the world in the palm of His hands. Number one, our sovereign God holds the destiny of everything and every person in the world in the palm of His hands. Again, uh, Revelation 5.1, Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, if you want to back up there, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. Listen to that. You created all things and by your will they exist exist and were created. The psalmist tells us the earth is the Lord's and what? In all of its fullness. Everything belongs to Him. Yes, everything is in His hands. And, and, and you notice there in the text there, he, he, he's, a, he's a sufficient God. He, he, is, he is sufficiently triune. And we could break that down if we had more time to, to look at the, the triunity of God, even within the context of this passage. But he's, He is sufficient. He is, he is God. The scroll, it, 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 as we go on and you look at this scroll and you see it is a series of judgments, or at least written there, it's open, opened up. There's a series of judgments that goes on there. There's no escape for people apart from these judgments that are from God. But then we see this lamb that is slain, and this lamb that is slain, the only escape for these people that are going to be judged by God, that's revealed from these scrolls, the only escape for them is through the lamb that has been slain. And what does he do? He redeems a people. He ransomed a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. So you kind of have the picture there of what's going on there. The throne room scene, there it is. We're allowed to look into it for a moment. And there in the middle of all the color, all the creatures and all the worship is the sovereign God. The God who needs none of this and yet deserves all of it. There He is. I like what uh, A.W. Tozer says. Uh, He says, Almighty God, just because He's almighty, needs no 
supports. <laughs> this, this, this is not a picture. Uh, some, some people have tried to paint the picture of uh, as a needy God. God has got this scroll in His hand and He's standing there and He's looking around and there's nobody, you know, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. There's nobody that's going to take the scroll out of my hand. You know, there's nobody here. Everybody's weeping. Uh, that, that's not the proper picture of God in this passage. Not at all. In fact, I would say that is a terrible uh, uh, modern century view of God. It is a terrible view of God, and it's not a proper view of God in this, in this, uh, this particular verse. Again, uh, let me re- uh, quote uh, Tozier again. Almighty God, just because He is Almighty, needs no support. This is not a picture of God fretting over who is going to help Him out. This is not a picture of an insufficient God. This is a picture of an all-sufficient, almighty God. This is a picture of God with a plan. <laughs> it, is per- it is a purposeful plan that nobody there is worthy to take the scroll except for one. Who is, by the way, a part of the triune God, the Lamb, right? So I want to make sure you understand that. The idea of an anxious God boots licking over men to win their favor is not an accurate one. Right? You understand that. You, you understand. I hope that's clear. Yet if we look at pop, the popular understanding of God today, it is precisely what we hear and what we see. In fact, it's what we hear and what we see in many churches today. Uh, modern, modern Christianity has made God out to be needy. That God somehow needs our charity. And we hear that sometimes. God needs you. God needs you to go to Africa. God needs you to do this. And I want to tell you and remind you, God doesn't need us. He is sufficient. He stands in the solitude of Himself and He's perfectly fine. He needs no one. God doesn't need us at all. I think so lofty is our opinion of ourselves that we find it quite easy, maybe even enjoyable to say, you know what, God needs me. But He doesn't. He doesn't. God is... Sort of like the gods of Canaan in modern man's eyes. He has to be propped up. He has to be fed, right? He needs caloric intake. He has to be cared for by man. He, he's a, he, he is, by the way, if he's a god who needs, he's not God at all. Right. Do you understand? Probably, the, I think, the hardest thought for all of our egos is to entertain the thought that God does not need our help. He's sufficient. We commonly represent him as, as, as sort of a busy, eager, somewhat frustrated father hurrying about, seeking, the help, seeking other people's help to carry out his benevolent plan to bring peace and salvation to the world. This is, this is the idea that some people present of God. I, I think too many missionary appeals are based on a, on a made-up frustration of Almighty God. And an effective speaker can easily excite pity in his hearers, not only for unbelievers but for God Himself. This God who has gotten Himself into trouble because of His own love and has this, this, uh, this total inability to get Himself out of the trouble that He's created for Himself. Mm. So people think they have to rescue Him somehow. I, I'm concerned that many people enter Christian service from a no higher motive than to help deliver God from the embarrassing situation His love has gotten Him into. Hmm. Hmm. Add to that sort of a a zeal to have purpose in life or maybe some compassion for the poor. And you have, I think, a true drive behind much of the Christian activity today. God doesn't need us, folks. And I I know that's hard for some people to hear, but it's the truth. Remember that song we used to sing when we were kids? He's got the whole world in His hands. I don't want to evaluate the, the grammar, but He's got the whole world 
in his hands. You remember that? And, and, and I don't know what happened where we, I know we don't sing that song and maybe we shouldn't sing that song, but there's a truth there. And the truth is, he's got the whole world in his hands. <laughs> How simple is that? <laughs> We've gotten away from just the simple truths about God. God is a sovereign God who holds the whole world in his hands. The earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. Yes. And here he is, presented to us here in Revelation chapter 5. He's not, he's not someone who's simply looking around. He can't find anybody to help him out. He's got this scroll, you know, this sort of title deed to the earth and, and these judgments that are getting ready to be poured out and this lamb and, and everybody's there and there's nobody to help God out. That is a terrible, terrible understanding of Revelation chapter 5. That's not God. God isn't wringing His hands. He doesn't know, you know, he's just sitting there trying to figure out what he's going to do and who's going to help him. No. God has the whole world, everyone in it, and everything in it in the palm of his hands. He is the determiner of the destiny of every person. And I think if you read Revelation, you'll see that played out. You'll see that played out. Number two, second unalterable truth that I want to give you. There is no hope for mankind apart from Jesus Christ. Is that simple enough? There is no hope for mankind apart from Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 5, verse 2, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or, or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly. This is John. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. The scroll contains the grand purpose of God in the world. And the silence of heaven testifies to the sinfulness of man. No one is worthy. John is weeping, right? There's no hope apart from Christ. All apart from Christ are condemned to eternal hell. In fact, the Bible describes it there in Revelation as a lake which burns with fire. It describes it as a second death. Hell, right? Separated from God from all eternity. Thomas Watson said, Thus it is in hell they would die, but they cannot. The wicked shall be always dying, but never dead. The smoke of the furnace ascends forever and ever. Oh, who can endure thus to be ever upon the rack? This word ever breaks the heart, he says. George Whitfield used to speak with tears in his eyes of, of hell people dying without the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, "...the torment of burning like a livid coal, not for an instant or for a day, but for millions and millions of ages, at the end of which souls will realize that they are no closer to the end than when they first begun, and they will never ever be delivered from that place." Wow. It's amazing. The way modern people talk about hell... It's obvious we don't understand a thing about it. I mean, some of you watched football yesterday, hear people declare, boy, that was a hell of a game yesterday, wasn't it? Or you hear people say something like, well, they, they, they nicked their shin bone. Oh, that hurt like hell. It's obvious they have no idea what the word means or the, what, what the place is. have no idea. The state of the unreached in the world is desperate. They haven't heard of Jesus. And yet they, they, they have a witness of God in their conscience and in creation. God, God has made Himself plain to them. They're without excuse, but they don't worship God, the Bible says. They're not thankful to God, Romans 1 says. They, they don't like to retain the knowledge of God. That, that, that this knowledge that they see in nature and they hear in their own conscience and they 
worship and serve the created thing rather than the Creator, the Bible says, Romans chapter 1. Listen, Billy Graham and Robert Schuller were wrong. Yes. The innocent man in some remote part of the world does not go to heaven. The reality is there are no innocents. Yes. There is no innocent man. He doesn't exist. There is no innocent, unreached people in the world. They are guilty before God, and thus they need the gospel. There are, again, over 1.8 billion people in the world at this moment whose knowledge of God is only sufficient to condemn their very souls. But your good news is... Are you ready for some good news? <laughs> yeah, we have to have some good news here, don't we? There is hope. Which brings me to my third unalterable truth. A third unalterable truth. The greatest news for all the world is that the slain Lamb of God rules with absolute authority. The greatest news for all the world is that the slain Lamb of God rules with absolute authority. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. He was promised centuries ago to the patriarchs, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, to whom shall, shall be the obedience of the peoples. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, and verse 11, He is the root of David, the, the, the Scripture says there in Revelation. There shall come forth a, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from, the, from his roots shall bear fruit. The, fruit uh, the, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and, and he will stand as a signal for the peoples. Isaiah 11. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5, I will raise up, declares the Sovereign Lord, for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 and 56, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. John the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. <laughs> and then in verse 6 of our text there in chapter 5, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb as though it had been slain. There he is. <laughs> Throughout history, are you ready for this? Throughout history, from the beginning of time, men have come and men have gone. We've witnessed that, haven't we? Mm. Women have come and women have gone, and all of them, the best of them, the kindest of them, the the most righteous of them, the mightiest of them, the strongest of men and women have come and they've gone, and they were all conceived in sin. All of them horribly fallen, and all of them, every single man and every single woman, a slave to sin, right? A slave to their own lust, a slave to Satan, the Bible says. All of them, generation after generation, century after century, every single man and every single woman also succumbed to death. Of the wages of sin, what? Is death. But then came another man. <laughs> then came another man, unlike any man or any woman before. This man was not conceived in sin. Amen? Amen. He didn't sin. He knew no sin, the Bible says. He, He possessed power over sin. This man was not enslaved to Satan. He was a slave of righteousness. And this man did not not give in to death. He conquered death. How? By suffering as a lamb. (laughs) 
He was marred. He was despised. He was rejected. He was stricken. He was smitten. He was afflicted. He was wounded. He was chastised. He was oppressed. He was punished in our place. And all who hide under the banner of His blood will be saved. Aren't you glad? All through faith will be saved from the wrath of God. This is, this is Jesus. This is, this is the, the suffering Christ. This is, this is the Lamb who was slain. The Lamb of God has not only endured death in our place, He has defeated death by His power. He bears the scars of death, yet He is sovereign over death. I love what the, what the hymn writer says, Crown Him the Lord of love, behold His hands inside. Those wounds yet visible above in beauty glorify. No angel in the sky can fully bear that sight, but downward bends his burning eye at mysteries so bright. Crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed over the grave and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring and lives that death may die. Amen? Oh, what a wonderful words. Revelation chapter 5, verse 7. He went, the Bible says, and He took the scroll from the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne. I think this is an echo of Matthew chapter 28, verse, uh, verse 18, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. The boldness. The audacity of this slain Lamb. Look at Him there in the text. See Him. Be in awe of Him. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Him. He's the one that's going to loose the scrolls, loose the seals of the scroll. He he alone is going to enact the, the judgment that's coming upon the world of unbelievers. But listen to me very, very carefully. He is also the one who will ransom, who has ransomed a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. He holds the destiny of every man or woman, boy or girl, in His hands. Amen? Salvation through sacrifice. Think about it. The kingdom has come through the crucifixion of God's Son. The Bible says He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him, uh, exalted Him to the highest place, and given Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if I can, can just uh, kind of pause here and just say hallelujah and amen. Praise the Lord for Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. I've got one more unalterable truth, and I just really want to just directly quote David Platt here. Um, he says, and this is the, the number four, the atonement of Christ is graciously, globally, and gloriously particular. The atonement of Christ is graciously, globally, and gloriously particular. We're going to meditate on this a little while, but I think we could have 10,000 years and not grasp the fullness of this. But let me me just read Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 to 10 once again. And when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed. Do you hear that? Past tense. You 
ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Now that's not a potential salvation. Do you understand that? Right. That, that is a particular yes. atonement. That is, that is a finished work. Yes. That is a done work of Jesus Christ. Mm. Listen to a, a few verses that will support this. Ephesians chapter 1, 4 through 11. God and, uh, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has, listen to this, chosen you in Him before the foundation of the world, that you should be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined you to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in Him. In Him you, all, you have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of your, uh, forgiveness of your trespasses according to the riches of His grace with which He lavished on you according to His purpose. In Him you have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Ephesians 1 4-11 Providence, listen to me very, very carefully. If, if there are 1.8 billion unreached people and, and 6,000 people groups still not been reached with the gospel of Christ, then we've missed the point of the atonement. We've missed the point of the atonement. You, listen, and the gospel are the means by which God has ordained to accomplish this great commission to redeem people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Our obedience to the great commission of Christ is incomplete if we just make disciples right here in North Carolina. Do you understand? Our commission is to make disciples of all nations, of all the peoples of the world. Our sovereign Lord's particular atonement drives global missions. And by the way, just assures us that we're going to be successful at it. If He's going to save people from every tribe and tongue and nation and gather them for His people, if he's, if he's paid for in full their, 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 for their salvation, paid for their sin, He's redeemed them, right? If, he, if He's done this, this is an accomplished work, then we can go to every time and tongue and nation with confidence yes. that He is going to save some. Not all, but He is going to save some. Amen? Yes. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> our, Lord, our sovereign Lord's particular atonement drives global missions. So if we believe Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, that He is gathering a people, that He has ransomed a people, if we believe that Jesus died to purchase people from every tribe and tongue and nation, then let's go to every tribe and tongue and nation. I mean, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah, you ready? I'll let you pack your bags and we'll, uh, we'll be ready to go. Yeah, people will look at me. Are you serious? Are you serious, Pastor? Yeah, I'm serious. I'm very serious. Why? 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 Why go? Why, why do this? Because we feel guilty. Because we're we're the reached, and we have all these resources, right? And we we have all this stuff. Aren't we just guilting people into into going overseas to the unreached? We feel bad, so we go. No, listen. What drives passion for unreached peoples is not guilt; it's glory. Yes. Glory for a king. Glory of seeing. Seeing a people that He has ransomed for Himself. A people from every tribe and tongue and nation glorifying our King, Jesus. That's what ought to motivate us. 
That's what ought to drive us. If people who know that our sovereign God deserves the praise of not just 10,000 people groups on the planet, but all 16,000 people groups of the planet, and we're not going to stop, listen, we're not going to stop until every single people group purchased by Christ is exalting His name. We can't stop. We don't have any alternative. Christ has told us to go. Mm. Well... We have come to this practical application of this message. And this is really where the rubber meets the road, doesn't it? This is, this is where we, we decide whether we're going to be serious about this whole thing of worldwide evangelism, worldwide discipleship. And, and, um, and here it is. And this is, not, this is not new revelation to you. This is not some, some hidden truth that's been hidden for years and years. This is basic. This is ABCs and 123s of Christianity. But here it is. Number one, pray. One, what should we do? We should pray. Pray for the completion of the mission. Pray for the spread of the gospel to all peoples. By the way, that's kingdom prayer. Yeah. We, 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 we come on a Wednesday nights, and I'm glad we do, and I'm glad we gather on, on Wednesday nights to pray, and, 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 we, and we share needs that we have, and we pray for Aunt Sally and Uncle Joe. These are made-up people, but we pray for them, and we should pray for them. It's a wonderful thing to pray for them. But, but what else? What else? Are we just to come and to pray for the good health of our neighbors and our friends and our family members? For what purpose? For what reason do we want them to be healthy? For what reason do we want Uncle Joe and his, his toe to be healed and, and, and Aunt Sally and her finances to be taken care of? For what purpose? If it's not for the glory of God, if it's not connected to the global mission, we're falling wo- woefully short in our prayers. We, we, we need to connect all of our prayers, even our requests, somehow to the gospel, somehow to this worldwide global mission. Matthew chapter 24 verse 14. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. We should pray for the end to come. Yes. And this is the way the early church prayed. I think Christians have gotten way too comfortable here. Oh, I've got things I need to do or I want to do and it has nothing to do with the mission. It has all to do with their, 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 maybe their kids or their grandkids or, or some other personal goals that they have or financial goals or stuff they want to experience in life or see in life. Listen, I'm telling you, you cannot experience anything greater or see anything greater than being a part of kingdom work. There's just nothing greater than that. Nothing more important than that. Lad uh, said, said this, uh, this verse, speaking of Matthew 24, 14, uh, he says, this is the single most important verse in the Word of God for, people, for the people of God today. God alone knows the definition of terms. I cannot precisely define who all the nations are, <laughs> but I do not need to know. I know only one thing. Christ is not yet returned. Therefore, the task is not yet done. When it's done, Christ will come. Our responsibility is not to to insist on defining the terms. Our responsibility is to complete the task. So long as Christ does not return, our work is undone. Let us get busy and complete our mission. (laughs) Folks, we need to pray that way, I think. We need to pray the Lord would would help us. uh, Pray for the completion of the mission. For the spread of the gospel to all peoples. Uh, I think that's Christ-centered, God-honoring prayer. Number two, that's pray. Number, that was number one. Number two is this. Give. Here we go. Pastor's asking me to give. Yes, I'm asking you to give. I'm not going to ask you anything less than what Christ asked you. He said, if any man... If any, if you want to... You cannot be my disciple, He said, unless you give everything you have. 
It all belongs to Him. It all comes from Him. Give to missions. Pray for the completion of the mission. Give to missions. We are, we are listen, one of, the, one of the wealthiest nations in the world, and I don't know how you measure those kinds of things. Maybe we're the most wealthy uh, nation in the world. I, I know that I've traveled around this world uh, quite a bit and seen a lot of different things, and, and uh, we, we certainly have a larger middle class, I think, than anywhere else in the world. And uh, We are a wealthy nation. Steve, uh, Steve Corbett and Brian uh, Fickert, in their, in their book, When Helping Hurts, said this. He said, The Bible's teaching should cut to the heart of North American Christians. By any measure, we are the richest people ever to walk the planet Earth. Psalm 67, listen to this. The end of Psalm 67 says, May God bless us. For what purpose? May God bless us still so that the ends of the earth may worship or fear Him. Yes. Yeah. Not, 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 not to, to give us a bunch of stuff so that, we can, so that we can boast in how much stuff we have, but so that the ends of the earth may worship or fear Him. God gives His people worldly wealth not for their own comforts, not to stack up all their stuff and to parade it in front of people to, to see, see, see what I've accomplished, see what I've done, see what I've worked for. But for the spread of worldwide worship. The sovereign God of the universe has willed you to be wealthy for the sake of His worship. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> I mean, And that happens as you give your wealth for the spread of the gospel to all people. As you use your wealth for His glory, whatever He's given you, if you have little or you have much, just use it for His glory, right? Use it for the spread of the gospel. For disciples, make disciples of all nations. Number three, number one, pray for the completion of the mission. Number two, give to missions. Number three, go to the nations. Go to the nations. We need, I think, to have short-term missions, and I'm glad that we do. We have some of you that go on short-term mission work. I'm hoping that we can get back with Tim and Nikki now being in the DR. We can get back to going to the DR, doing some short-term work there. We need, we need mid-term kind of missions, kind of like what I do. I'm, I'm basically gone three months out of the year to, 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 to Africa, and I'm glad for that. I'm glad that you, you send me. You're probably glad you send me too, but uh, I'm, I'm glad to be there and glad to be a part of that. And we need long-term missions. We need some of you to commit long term to take your families and your children and pack your bags and go somewhere. Go somewhere to an unreached people group or go somewhere in the world that needs the good news of the gospel. And why not you, by the way? Why not you? Why not you? I hear people say, well, I'm just not in a place where I can do that. Well, what will it take to get you in a place where you can do that? How can we help you? How can we get, help you get to a place where you can begin to do that? And listen, I'll just go ahead and tell you, it'll never be convenient. Amen. It'll never be easy. In fact, I think it will be the hardest thing that people will ever do in their life to pick up and go somewhere that's out of your context, that's out of your culture, that's out of your comfort zone. I mean, this is all we know for most of us here. This is what we grew up in. It'll be the hardest thing I think you would ever do in your life. But if this is Christ's command, then what alternative do we have? He said to go. We certainly, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay the idea of some of you staying because some of you are senders, right? And some of you are goers. I, I, I get that. But whether you whether you send or whether you go, you're still on mission right here in Ashburn, North Carolina. You, you're still called to make disciples right here. I think everybody, every Christian, ought to be discipling somebody, being discipled and being discipled and discipled. Somebody. You need to be investing your life in somebody's life. Or having somebody invest in your life so that you can invest in somebody else's life. I think that's 
I think that's just a, a biblical model. We see people in the New Testament that God has to stay among reached peoples, right? To disciple, to shepherd, to serve reached peoples. I mean, Timothy. Timothy is a good example of that. Paul would leave him in a certain place and he would stay in that place and disciple those people and minister to those people and preach to those people and, and, and evangelize that area. You know. And I'm thankful for Jonathan and Eric. Praise God for them. They, they stay here at Providence Baptist Church. It would be awful for all three of your pastors to be gone. I don't know. They might, get, they might say hallelujah. I don't know. We can get three more. I don't know. But I'm glad. I'm so glad for these guys and I'm so glad that they'll be able to, to come here. And it's a, it, I know it's heavy for them. I know Eric would love to go. His, his body, I mean, it's just not, it's not possible for him to go right now. I know Jonathan would, would go. He might not but I know he would go if he was physically able to go. And, 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 but for whatever reason, God has them here and He's discipling them. And it's freed me up, praise be to God, to be able to go, to send me away, right? To be able to go and do that. And I'm so thankful for these brothers. But I don't believe that everyone in the church is called to stay. I believe God is calling some of you to pack your bags and to move to an area of greater need, to an unreached area to spread the gospel and to make disciples. And we, we, we as your pastors, we're here to encourage you and we're here to equip you and we're here to send you if you're willing, if you're willing to go. And maybe God has been working in some of your hearts for some time, but you, you just don't know what to do. Well, you know, and maybe you're thinking, well, what's, what's the first step? Well, come talk to us. And I know Brother Eric and Jonathan and myself, we'd love to sit and talk to you. What's, what's a logical first step? Some of you need to join a church. That's a logical first step. Begin to build bonds and relationships. Right? How, I mean, you can't be sent if you have no one to send you. You need to belong to a church. Hmm. Someone might object and say, well, why don't we just send money and let the local people do it? Well, I mean, there are no local Christians in unre- among unreached people groups. There are no local churches. <laughs> Do you get it? There's nobody there. And by the way, by the way, it's not their job. It's ours. It's ours. God has called us to go. They're not to take our job. Oh, and here we go. I've got one more. One more practical application. And this may be the hardest for American Christians or maybe just Christians in general to swallow. Not only are we to pray for the completion of the mission, not only are we to... Um, to give to missions, not only to go to the nations. Listen, we are, we are, we are to die for the sake of the glory and worship of Christ. You hear me? We're to die for the sake of the glory and the worship of Christ. If I can quote our brother David Platt again, Specifically, he says, he says, a high view of God's sovereignty fuels death-defying devotion to global missions. I love the way he phrases things. Death-defying devotion to global missions. Listen, we, we want to help you here at Providence. We want to help you live well, but we also want to help you die well. To die well for the Lord, for the sake of the spread of the gospel to all people. We believe Jesus Christ is absolutely sovereign over life and death. He's absolutely sovereign over our life and our death. Um, David Platt tells the story of a Romanian pastor, Yosef San. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name right. but He says he recounted a time when he was being interrogated by six men, and he said to one of them, what is taking place here is not an encounter between you and me. This is an encounter between my God and me. My God is teaching me a lesson through you. I do not know what it is, and maybe He wants to teach me several lessons. I only know, sirs, that you will do to me only what God wants you to do, and you will not go one inch further. 
because you are only an instrument of my God. Every day I saw those six pompous men as nothing more than my father's puppets. <laughs> he carries on. He says, During an early interrogation, I had, an, I, had a, I had told an officer who was threatening to kill me. He says, Sir, let me explain how I see this, this issue. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Here, here is how it works. You know that my sermons on tape have spread, uh, you can tell how old this is, on tape, on tape have spread all over the country. If you kill me, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know I died for my preaching. And everyone who has a tape will pick it up and say, I- I'd better listen again to what that, this man preached because he really meant it. And he sealed it with his life. So, sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder than before. I will actually rejoice in the supreme victory if you kill me. After I said this, the interrogator sent me home. (laughs) Another officer who was interrogating a pastor friend of mine told him, We know that Mr. Son would love to be a martyr, but we are not that foolish to fulfill his wish. I stopped to consider the meaning of that statement. I remember how for many years I had been afraid of dying. I had kept a, a low profile because I wanted badly to live. I had wasted my life in inactivity, but now that I had placed my life on the altar and decided I was ready to die for the gospel, they were telling me they would not kill me. <laughs> I could go wherever I wanted in the country and preach whatever I wanted, knowing I was safe. As long as I tried to save my life, I was losing it. Now that I was willing to lose it, he says, I found it. (laughs) So church, let us be finished and done with small theology of a small Jesus that results in worthless approaches to missions to the world. And let us believe deeply in the absolute sovereign of the universe who holds the destiny of our lives in His good hands. And let us see the hopeless state of man before God apart from Jesus Christ. And let's pray. And let's give. And let's go with the greatest news in all the world for the glory of God. Folks, this is why we're here. This is why we exist. I mean, what better way to spend your life and lose it all than to be about what you were created for? I can't imagine living or dying for anything else. We've been saved by a graciously, globally, gloriously particular sacrifice, as our brother said. Let us give our lives, let us lose them if necessary for the advancement of Christ's kingdom and the accomplishment of Christ's commission. And let's not stop. Let's not stop until the slaughtered Lamb of God, the sovereign Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, receives the full reward of His labor. Amen? Father, thank You for this time that we've got to share together. I pray that, God, it's been an encouragement and a challenge to us. Oh, God, will You work, Lord, um, in our hearts to... Show us, Lord, what we need to do to be faithful to Your commission, to this worldwide task that You've laid before Your church. God, we thank You and we praise You that You are completely and utterly sovereign over all things, over life and death.
You hold the whole world in your hands. You hold our lives in your hands. Our life and our death. And so, Lord, I pray that You would help us. Help us to pray. Help us to give. Help us to go. And help us, Lord, if, if need be, help us to die. To die well for Your glory. Till all the world knows. Until You've gathered the full number of Your people. For Your praise, for Your glory, for Your worship. In Christ's name, Amen.